Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. In a central London boarding house, an ominous letter lay undisturbed on a hallway floor. The envelope was sealed but unmarked, and no address was written upon it. The mysterious letter was discovered, opened and read aloud to the occupants of the house, but what it contained confused the residents. A week or so earlier, their landlady had gone missing, and it seemed the letter held the key to working out where she was. However, did the letter actually come from outside the building, or was it perhaps placed there by someone living in the home? Today on Macabre London, we uncover the mystery of Mabel Jennings Edmonds and the Lambeth tragedy. Welcome back to another episode of Macabre London. I'm Nikki Druce, your host with a silent G, and today I'll be taking you on a journey down another of London's grimy backstreets to uncover a macabre tale from the city's past. However, before we get into today's episode, if you're new here and you want to see more videos where we deep dive into some lesser-known historic tales from London's past, then please don't forget to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. If you aren't new here and you regularly enjoy the show and want it to continue, please consider supporting me on Patreon. The link is in the show notes. There's actually a full one-hour ghost story that I just released on there as part of Gin and Ghost Stories, my Victorian-inspired parlour room bonus show, so make sure you check that out so you don't miss it. 
Also, if you've been living under a rock, you may have not heard my new show, which is with Cheryl Hole from Drag Race UK, and it's called Killers, Cults and Queens. So if you want more of me, and also the Queen of Essex, please check it out now. We recorded our final episode of season one the other day, and I can't believe season one is almost over. It's been so lovely hearing all your nice feedback, and thanks for being so supportive. And welcome, if you're here the other way around, and if you found me off the back of that, welcome to the Ghoul Gang. You've got lots to catch up on. Oh, and do stay tuned to the end of this episode because I've got some Christmas-related news coming up that you'll definitely want to hear. If you've been listening to Macabre London for a while now, you'll know I'm a glutton for punishment when it comes to wading through old newspapers and today's story is a gem I discovered when doing some late-night lurking in the newspaper archives. The story itself seems to have fallen into absolute obscurity, and despite it being rather gruesome, it's in danger of being forgotten altogether. To give a bit of context, the case in question happened in 1923. This just so happened to also be the year that lovers Frederick Bywaters and Edith Thompson murdered Edith's husband, Percy. I have covered Percy's murder before on the show, back in the days with the crispy audio, so you may well not have heard that one, but safe to say the murder captured the nation and saturated the papers with the tales of not only Percy's death, but the subsequent execution of both Frederick and Edith, the latter which would go on to play a large part in the discussion around abolishing the death penalty. As the nation was somewhat exasperated with the horrific tales of murder and execution, any subsequent horrid occurrences which happened during 1923 seemed to blur into obscurity. So imagine my surprise when I found something incredibly gruesome lurking in the pages of an old broadsheet, a tale which has seemingly been all but forgotten. London, and the UK as a whole in 1923, was a progressive place. After the austerity of World War I, people were slowly clamouring their way back to a regular way of life, and advancements were being made all over the place. The British Broadcasting Corporation, better known to you and I as the BBC, was given a licence to broadcast and quickly set up divisions across the country. Women finally earned the right to divorce. Agatha Christie, P.G. Woodhouse and Barbara Cartland were shining in their literary careers and under-18s were banned from drinking. The country, as a whole, was moving forward. However, in some areas of London, the idea of progression hadn't reached them. Only 24 short years before, in 1899, the slums, which took up a huge part of London, were slowly disbanded and people evicted. But all this did was move people into multi-occupancy households, and those that were privileged enough to own property made the most of it in the city by letting out as many rooms as they could. One landlady, Mabel Jennings Edmonds, a 50-year-old lady, was lucky enough to own a property slap-bang in the heart of the city. She owned a large multi-occupancy household which sat right in the middle of Lambeth in central London, a cheap but attractive option for those who needed to be where the action was happening. Mabel rented a modest home, it was simple but amenable, and she hosted a variety of tenants who would usually stay for a few months until they moved on. She often hosted people who were temporarily in the city, those passing through, military men, maids and the like which only needed to be there for a short while. 
The landlady was a kindly woman and looked after her tenants. Just turned 50, she spent her time at the property making sure everything was clean and tidy, being quite house-proud. She would often check in on her tenants, taking the time to stop for a cup of tea to make sure they were doing okay and catching up on their gossip. Mabel's kindness in her home didn't just extend to strangers. Family who were also needing a place to stay would drop by, and her nephew, Frederick Jesse, a 26-year-old gardener from Kent, would often use the place as temporary lodgings when he found himself in London. Frederick was finding that he was getting more work when he was in London than he was in Kent, so in January of 1923, he asked Mabel if he may stay a little while longer at the lodging house, to which she agreed. Mabel was keen to have the company of family, as her husband Edward Edmonds was away working in Canada. Mabel had wanted to go with him, but instead she resorted to staying behind to look after the house and to keep things ticking over at the home. With Edward away, Mabel ran a tight ship at the house. She joined forces with the local tailor, Frank Bowes, who helped to advertise the house and to bring in new tenants for her rooms. Frank himself rented a room from her and had been at the property for around four months, doing his bit to bring in new people for what we can assume was a reduced rent. Another tenant of the house had also become quite fond of Mabel, and that was Hannah Morris, who had rented a room from her five months previously. The pair used to often meet weekly for the rent pickup and a subsequent cup of tea. It was during one of these casual catch-ups that Mabel shared some concerns about nephew Frederick. She said that Frederick had come to her in financial difficulties, asking if he could borrow £40 from her, which would be the equivalent of almost £2,000 in today's money. Mabel, being obliging to her nephew's request, told Hannah that she'd had to pawn some of the furniture in the house, but she had managed to get the money for Fred. Hannah admitted she'd heard the two quarrelling, and Mabel had said she was becoming increasingly concerned for Fred's need for money, which she couldn't satiate. As it turned out, Hannah's room was directly next to Mabel's, and so any fights the pair had were broadcast to her straight through the adjoining wall, so she knew all too well what had been happening between the pair. On the afternoon of Saturday the 21st of July... Hannah was privy to another one of these fights coming through her wall. After about 90 minutes of quarrelling, she went out to run an errand, and when she returned back to the lodging house around midnight, everything was quiet. Assuming the two had resolved their differences, she thought nothing of it and went to bed. By Monday, Hannah hadn't seen Mabel for a few days, and so she went to her room to check on her. She knocked and there was no reply, Eventually, the door opened and Fred was in her room. Hannah asked him where Mabel was and he told her that she'd gone away for a few days. Hannah thought about this and again went to Fred and asked if she could have Mabel's address and he said he didn't know it, leading her to believe that something fishy was going on. Frank the tailor come estate agent had also been looking for Mabel and again just found Fred in her place. He also, like Hannah, inquired about her whereabouts. He received a slightly more detailed response from Fred in that Mabel was away with a man named Reg in Sheerness, a little town in Kent. Both Fred and Frank had struck up a bit of a friendship, 
and due to him living at the property and being the estate agent for the place, Fred sought his advice about renting out the rooms. Frank thought this odd, as it was Mabel's domain, but Fred assured him it was okay, and that in his aunt's absence, he would like to begin getting tenants for the vacant rooms. However, there was a problem. Some of the rooms were locked, and he couldn't gain access. It was during this conversation that Frank noticed that Fred had a cut on his face and a black eye. The next day, Frank spoke to Fred so they could begin the process of letting out the rooms, but Fred said he was sure Aunt Mabel was going to return any day now, and not to worry. A few more days passed, and one of the tenants in the home noticed a letter lying in the hallway of the lodgings. The envelope was unusual, as it was blank, with no address upon it. But before we discover its contents... I just want to take a moment to talk to you today about Magic Mind. Now, caffeine for me is something that I absolutely adore, but if I drink too much of it, I find myself staying awake quite far too late into the evening when I should definitely be fast asleep. I'm not sold on the effects of coffee as it does make me a bit jittery and also makes my focus pretty bad, which is no good for writing my episodes as I can't get into the flow state I need. But after drinking a shot of Magic Mind in the morning, I can honestly say it makes the world of difference. I can get things done in a fraction of the time they would take me before as I simply just get on with it instead of faffing around and I 100% attribute that to Magic Mind. Now, with this particular episode, I've been using Magic Mind to help me with it by drinking it before I start pouring over the tricky to track down details of this case. And before I know it, I've got most of the facts down, all thanks to this little wonder drink. When I've had a shot of Magic Mind in the morning, about an hour before I start my script writing, I really find it helps me just breeze through the boring bits and to retain the information I need to create my episodes, which my coffee addiction really wasn't helping with before. These little pocket-sized shots, which are so cute and the perfect size for popping in your bag if you're on the go, have a balance of nootropics and adaptogens inside, including lion's mane and cordyceps mushrooms, which are proven to help with clarity and focus, along with a nice helping of green tea. And it has honey in it too, which is a mood booster. I've experimented with various ways of drinking Magic Mind, including both hot and cold versions in the form of lattes and lemonades, but honestly... I've been a bit lazy with it recently and I've just been opening them up and drinking them straight from the bottle and as they're perfectly sized you can just take them with you and have them on the go. Thanks to the people at Magic Mind I've been working my way through a larger pack this time and it's definitely something which the longer you use it the better the results so I really recommend getting a subscription. I would never recommend anything that I don't actually use myself, so you're safe in the knowledge that this is an excellent way to start your mornings, and I honestly feel this has really helped me to be able to concentrate better for longer and to contribute to bringing you the episode you're currently listening to. If you're interested in trying Magic Mind for yourself, then you can get a whopping 40% off a subscription, which is the best deal, or 20% off your first one-time purchase by visiting the Magic Mind website at www magicmind.co forward slash macabre and using my offer code macabre. The 40% off code is only valid for 10 days, so if you want to get that 40% off and to try it for yourself to start on your better focus journey, you'll have to be quick. That's www.magicmind.co forward slash macabre and use my offer code macabre. Thanks for listening and back to the episode. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. A letter at Mabel and Fred's address had been picked up by Hannah the lodger. It had no address written on it and was on the floor in the middle of the hallway, waiting to be discovered. Nephew Fred had been out that morning, and when he returned, Hannah handed him the letter. Fred opened it and read it aloud. To those concerned, you will find my wife in the house, but before you read these lines, I shall be in the river. R.P. But who was R.P. and what did this mean? Hannah said they should inform the police, but Fred said he didn't think there need be any cause for concern, as surely if anything had happened to Mabel, it definitely wouldn't have been inside the house. Fred later saw Frank, the other York Street tenant, at home and asked if he wanted to accompany him on some errands to which he agreed. Fred told Frank about the letter and also said that he'd been informed by the River Police that Mabel's marriage lines, which you and I know nowadays as a marriage certificate, had been found floating in the Thames. The River Police had asked Fred if he could sign to have the licence returned to his auntie, but he'd said no, and it had been kept by them. Frank inquired as to why such a strange object may have been found floating in the Thames, and Fred assured Frank that it was more than likely to do with Mabel's tryst with the mystery man named Reg, which she'd run away with to Sheerness. He believed she'd wanted to make it look like she'd taken her own life and waded out into the Thames, perhaps instead of having to worry about a divorce. In the meantime, back at the property, Hannah was not convinced by the letter which she sat staring at on the table. Who was RP? It wasn't the initials of Mabel's husband, Edward Edmonds, so it didn't make sense. Maybe RP was this reg person that Mabel had run off with. However, Hannah didn't recall Mabel mentioning anything to her over their weekly cuppa about going away, which was most out of character for the organised and methodical woman she knew. Either way, now eight days since she'd seen or heard from her, it seemed that Mabel may be in danger, and so Hannah went to the police station to report her concerns. PC Best accompanied Hannah back to the lodging house. They broke into the locked rooms one by one to see if any evidence could be recovered to track down Mabel. Best went systematically through the rooms, breaking them open on the ground floor, not finding anything but them being quite messy. He then went up to the first floor and broke open the living room, nothing there either. Then he went to the back room, Fred's room, and busted down the door. Inside, he couldn't fathom what he was seeing. Firstly, there were bloodstains on the floor, but then, on a table, sat two legs perched over a bucket. 
On the bed was a bundle of blankets that had been wrapped around something and tightened with straps. Best only had to use his nose to know what this was. The rest of the body. TC Best raised the alarm and the body was removed to the mortuary, where, on closer inspection, it was revealed the contents of the blankets. Inside was the top half of a woman, her mouth stuffed with a handkerchief and her neck bruised with strangulation marks. In order to work out who it was, the police called upon Lodger Frank to identify the remains. He confirmed Hannah's suspicions. The body belonged to his landlady and Fred's aunt, Mabel Jennings Edmonds. Piecing together the puzzle, and with the helpful input of Hannah and Frank, police went and arrested Fred on suspicion of Mabel's murder. Back at the lodging house, some further investigation work had been carried out, which led them to believe it was most definitely Fred who was responsible for Mabel's death. Blood was found in both Mabel's room and Fred's room, suggesting that she was murdered downstairs and then taken upstairs to be disposed of. Other items belonging to Mabel were found in other rooms, and generally it seemed to police that Fred had spent days moving things around, trying to make it look like something strange had happened, or to confuse anyone who might stumble across the scene. At the house, Fred was given the opportunity to give his side of the story, and he rambled a 15-page statement to the police, which was later discounted. However, after a few hours of being in custody at the police station, and perhaps some police influence, he decided he would tell the truth, but he still proclaimed his innocence. His statement read, I want to tell you about this case. It is a horrible thing to have to say, but I killed my aunt on Saturday, July 21st. I want to tell you briefly what occurred. She was nagging me in the morning from about 11 o'clock until after lunchtime principally about my not selling her piano. Then she started again and went into family affairs and said most wicked things about my mother. I stood this for about two hours. She then said, I'm going to kill myself. I said, that is rot. You must control yourself and not be hysterical. She then commenced to call me foul names and said I had been guilty of unnatural offences. She followed me into my room, and as I turned round, she struck me on the face with something which I thought was a knife. I fell on the bed. She then threw something on my face from a bottle containing some fluid. She struck me again. Then I closed with her and pushed her back. She then struck me over the other eye with what I now know to be a police whistle. She then threw some more fluid in my face, and it stupefied me. I struggled, and then the next thing I realised was that she was lying on the bed, dead, with my hands around her throat. I then realised I had strangled her. On Sunday, I went upstairs and saw the body lying in my bed. I cut the legs off with a knife and cut the trunk up, my intention being to try and dispose of the body, but there were many difficulties in the way, and I lost courage. Had I been able to dispose of the body, I should have committed suicide. I may add, she had threatened me. This statement is voluntary and true. Signed, Frederick William Maximilian Jesse. And with that statement, Fred was done for. He was instantly charged with Mabel's murder and seen in court soon after. At court, he had seemingly decided against legal representation, 
something which wasn't needed if he was going to plead guilty, but in a strange twist, he pleaded not guilty. Of course, without anyone to fight his corner, and in a time when free legal representation wasn't a thing, only becoming available in 1949, Fred didn't stand a chance of being found not guilty. Fred's trial was short and sweet, as he opted not to give evidence either. The jury found him guilty, and he had to await his sentencing till September of that year. Understandably, the punishment for such a brutal crime was given the worst of sentencing, and he awaited the gallows. Fred was executed by John Ellis at Wandsworth Prison on the 1st of November 1923, and his execution wasn't even mentioned in the papers, unlike many others before him. Seemingly nobody cared about such a vicious crime. But why did London, and the rest of the UK for that matter, seemingly not care about poor Mabel and her murder? Did people think the quarrel was a justified reason for her offing? After all, from the evidence provided by the police, it seemed that in all actuality, Fred had been far more devious than he implied in his statement. The letter which Hannah discovered implied that the body found in the lodgings was that of another woman, and not Mabel. Maybe the body that was discovered was not one, but two different women. But as it was deemed a domestic dispute, any further theories weren't explored, and the case seemed open and shut. My own personal theory is that Fred decided he was going to murder Mabel, cut her up and throw her in the Thames and then start renting the house out, making people think she'd offed herself. However, I think he chickened out of the horrible business of getting rid of Mabel and decided to change the tact and implicate a fictional man, leaving behind another body of a woman who didn't exist. You'll be pleased to know that I've not quite put this one to bed yet, and I'm still unsure entirely what the outcome may be here, but you'll be pleased to know I'll be carrying out some further investigations, as I've been able to track down the original police file for the case, and I'm going to be going to see it soon. I think I'm going to need a strong stomach for that one. If that does bring up any new information I can add, then I will definitely give you an update. However, in the meantime, I'm pleased to have been able to tell Mabel's story, and to make sure she is remembered as it seems she and the heinous crime Fred committed upon her had definitely been forgotten. Thanks for joining me for this episode as always i'd love to know your thoughts on this one and please leave me a comment and a thumbs up on youtube or a rating on your podcast provider if you're new around here and you've not yet subscribed i'd love for you to join the ghoul gang we're a friendly bunch so do come and join us and you'll want to be sure to subscribe because we're now getting to the end of the year and that means it's time for Weird and Wonderful to make another appearance. My yearly Weird News Roundup will be making a return for a summing up of all the odd things that have happened in 2022. I cannot wait. Also, if you do like the show and you'd like to support what I make, then why not consider becoming a patron like these amazing top-tier legendary executive Patreon producers Amy, Christina, Jess, Kate, Kevin, Mary, Sally, Sam, Sarah and Veronica, and all of our other patrons too. As I said before, there's loads of extra content milling about on there now, so why not give it a look? 
If you want to just give a one-off gift, then there's my Amazon wishlist, which has items to help me make the show. And there's also one-off donation links in the description too. All support is 100% integral for me being able to continue making the show. And thanks from the bottom of my heart for even considering supporting me. You're the absolute best. And a big thank you to Magic Mind for sponsoring this episode. Please check them out using the link in the description box. Thanks for joining me for another macabre tale from London's past. I've been Nikki Druce, and I'll see you ghouls next time. <laughs>